it's not often that at a bank you get the opportunity to really look at things greenfield and um, that's what we're doing. You know, we're we're looking at the question of how do you build, uh, you know, digital banking solutions in, you know, the year almost 2023, and saying if we were going to do that the way that that you would want to do it from scratch, what would that look like? So four months later, they came out with like ta-da, this architecture diagram, and I sat there and I was like, Are you freaking kidding me? Like it just takes these three things to make this whole thing work, and they're like, Yeah, we think so. Welcome to a special episode of Crafted, recorded live from New York at Rise, created by Barclays. Rise is an incubator for fintech startups and hosts amazing events, including the one you are about to hear from Artium. Before we get to that, though, some exciting news about Till, the fintech we featured on our last episode. They got acquired. Just days after our episode dropped, CTO Johnny Ray Austin and the Till team joined Best Egg, where they will continue to build out the flexible rent platform that helps renters stay in their homes and landlords reduce their risk. Literally have Slack channels where we get uh, feedback from residents and people thanking us because, you know, we helped them avoid eviction or, you know, they didn't have to decide between paying rent and like feeding their kids that month. So we're a small but mighty team. And I think we, we punch well above our weight. So let it be known, appear uncrafted, and there is a very good chance that your startup will have a successful exit days later. Okay, now on to our special episode recorded live on December 7th in New York. So joining us now are Ainsley Simmons and D. Orlando Keys. Uh, Ainsley is the president of Pershing X at Bank of New York Mellon. Pershing X is an innovative new wealth management platform for BNY Mellon's clients, including broker-dealers, registered investment advisors, and trust companies. Previously, Ainsley was the global head of digital at PIMCO, and she's held top product and marketing roles at major financial institutions and startups, including LearnVest, which we're going to talk about. Uh, and she started in the CPG space at Campbell's Soup and Molson Coors. Please join me in welcoming Ainsley Simmons. Thanks. And D. Orlando Keys has spent his career leading technology teams in fintech. He's built everything from marketing experimentation platforms to trading systems with billions of dollars in transaction value. He's got extensive experience at large financial institutions and startups, again, including LearnVest, as well as PropTech startup, the guarantors, and insurance startup Wealthy. Today, D. Orlando is the head of banking foundational platform at UBS, where he is building really cool stuff, some of which he might maybe be allowed to talk about. <laughs> Uh, D. Orlando, thank you so much for being with us. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm really excited to have you both on stage. You're both building very ambitious things at very big financial institutions. Uh, you both have startup experience, big company experience, and startup at a big company experience. Uh, and in this session, I'd love to discuss what it means to work and innovate in those contexts. Uh, before I get there, I wanted to start with a little warm-up question. Ainsley, this is for you to start. Uh, it's a bit of an odd setup. It's one that listeners of Crafted uh, may recognize from our very first episode. Uh, it, it goes like this. You game? Ready. Okay. All right. So uh, I, I love how um, blog posts always have these really grandiose titles that always have like a little bit of a switch in the headline. So I'm going to give you the title of a blog post that you've written, and then you can write it okay. for us. All right, Don't worry, right you, you got yeah. this. Okay. Okay. Here, here, you wrote this. Everything I needed to know about building financial products, I learned selling Campbell's soup. 
Oh, that's not even hard. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, so it was really, it's, it's been a really interesting and wild ride over the last, you know, number of years in my career. Uh, because when I started at Campbell's Soup Company, uh, I worked in product management. That was what it was called. And you thought about um, building PLs and you thought about product definition and you did a lot of customer intimacy and a lot of data and analytics. Does any of that sound familiar? So it was sort of the OG product management happening in the real world. And then when digital happened, um, what was so fascinating and why it was so fun to just, you know, make the jump. Everyone asked me, like, how did you go to, you know, how did, how did you make that jump? It was literally the same job except better because now you can measure everything. So I remember Campbell's Soup days, you know, you used to have to pay data for data, you know, that was eight, six months old, blah, blah, blah. And now the internet, you get it like in four hot seconds. So it's the same stuff, it's the same skills. It, it was a super easy switch. Uh, and I think, you know, it's, um, it's a, if you're ever looking to hire product managers, it's a good place to go find people still. D. Orlando, how has not selling Campbell's Soup held you back? <laughs> well, I didn't know before now, but now I now Did I realize. Did you not know that about me? Well, I didn't know how it would have helped Oh, oh me how it applied. Too. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. <laughs> um, so the, these two know each other well because they work together at LearnVest. We did not plan this. This was a surprise. It was a we total were, surprise. We were, I was like, wait, that guy? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they, they, they were both at LearnVest, both before and after its acquisition by Northwestern Mutual. D. Orlando joined just as the, the acquisition was, was sort of in the works. Um, and so you know, the, the acquisition was a big deal in the fintech world, big deal in the New York startup world. Um, and I'd love to get to what you all are building today in a moment. But first, I would love to go back to around 2015 and the years just before and after the LearnVest acquisition. And just for those who don't, don't recall, LearnVest mission was to democratize financial planning, especially to make wealth management more accessible and approachable to women. Northwestern Mutual bought it for $250 million in 2015. Uh, about three years later, though, it effectively shut LearnVest down uh, and later relaunched it, but it's, it's a, mostly a, a small content site today. And dear Leonard, I wonder if you could start just by sharing one story from pre and post, I guess you joined just as the acquisition was closed. So maybe as the culture was changing, one story that felt more like the original and one that as it was changing and Northwestern Mutual was, you know, making its presence known. If you could just, and, 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 and more importantly, if you could share how those stories uh, impact how you think about innovating at your own large financial institution today. Yeah, for sure. Um, a big part of, like, any time you've got an acquisition like that where uh, there's a larger company and a smaller, like, more nimble, faster-moving company, a big part of the motivation behind that is... is People and the way that the people work. Like in LearnVest, we had, uh, you know, what you'd imagine as a New York tech startup. We moved fast. We, like, we were agile. You know, small a agile. We lived it, breathed it. Um, a large company that acquires a company like that is trying to be that. You know, there's a thing where larger companies are trying to become nimble and agile, and smaller companies are trying to be more process oriented and grow up. Um, so in the early days, you know, uh, again, I landed just as it had happened, but nothing had really changed yet. And um, we, were, we were exactly that breed of animal where, you know, we were able to get people around a desk and solve some problems, innovate organically. Um, and I think the, 
you know, as the acquisition became more and more real and we started to interact with more and more of our counterparts from Milwaukee and um, get to know our, our new partners more, a big part of it was teaching our partners how to operate in the same way. Um, and there were, uh, you know, uh, a lot of opportunities to, um, well, to educate a new way of doing things and, you know, you find some folks that are naturally, uh, you know, acclimated to that and some folks who, uh, you know, it's a little harder to make that, make that shift. But that's a big part of what the change really is, teaching folks how to, how to work in that, uh, you know, that agile way. You want to take that as well? Uh, sure. I mean, I was at uh, LearnVest uh, really early days, I think right after we raised the A, maybe right around the B, I can't remember. Um, and I think it was like 12 people. So when Northwestern Mutual acquired us, we were like probably about 100. Um, and uh, that's a very small team in the sort of behemoth of, of Northwestern Mutual. It's a very, very large company. Um, and so, you know, I think... Stories to tell is, um, you know, you have to start to really understand. I think it's really important if, if your company ever gets acquired, hopefully it does, if that's what you want. <laughs> um, it's really important to understand what's their business, how do they make money, because you're going to get pulled in that direction, period, no matter what it is. So if you don't know that, please do know that because your, your company is going to go there. And for us, it was uh, Northwestern Mutual is a big, one of the biggest providers of um, what's called permanent life insurance. It's sort of a product where it has an investment component and a life insurance component. And that was a massive cultural uh, change for LearnVest because LearnVest was trying to help people uh, democratize finance. And so the best insurance product is a much cheaper version uh, called term insurance. It was like the craziest, like at the heart of the company belief that term insurance was the answer for everybody and a, at the heart belief for Northwestern Mutual that permanent life insurance was the answer for everybody. So there were a lot of conversations about that and it took a lot of um, time and energy and effort uh, to educate on both sides um, and kind of find the middle ground. But you know, I would just say the gravitational pull is always gonna go to where the acquirer makes money. So I'd love to talk more about what you're building today, and I imagine there is education that you're doing today with your colleagues in sure. different areas. So maybe you could start, Ainsley. Tell us yeah. more about Pershing X and what you're building. And yeah, so um, if uh, if you don't know much about how advisors, financial advisors, work today, they essentially use about eight to twelve tools to be able to give you what you need. So you know they have to fire up a. Um, a financial planning tool and a portfolio construction tool and a trading and rebalance tool and I can go on. There's you know eight to ten of them. And with all the fintech money that's coming into the space, um, they keep acquiring more tools. Number eleven, number twelve, number thirteen, and it's really become a massive problem because nothing connects. And uh, you as a client, um, you know, you need it to sort of see the full you, and and they need it to see the full you. So uh, what we are building is a platform to connect uh, financial tools for advisors. Um, and so we're calling it an operating system. And what that requires in finance is a data layer that normalizes all the various ways in which financial data gets expressed in the market. And there's many different ways 
Uh, you're talking about crypto and digital assets, just one asset class. You know, you got bonds, you got stocks, you got ETFs, you got mutual funds, yada, yada. Everybody does everything a little bit differently. So you have to do this sort of normalized data layer. We have to have an operating system, which is what we're building. Uh, we're also building the data layer. And then to really make money, <laughs> um, we're talking about the little dirty secret in finance, you also have to provide the applications and the investment products that go in it. So if you sort of think about it as layers of a cake, you know, you got the data layer, you got the operating system layer, you got the application layer, and then you have the financial products layer. And so you mentioned ambitious. Um, I don't think this could be done if we didn't have the kind of long-term funding and commitment we have from the Bank of New York Mellon because you to simultaneously hit all of those things and have them all be orchestrated um, is near impossible. It's, it's, uh, it's some pretty fancy footwork. So that is what we're working on. Um, we're about a year in. We have about 500 people already working on it. Dear Leonard, the, the the foundational layer that's your foundational is in the your yeah. title at UBS. Can you talk more about what you're doing there and, and and how you think about building platforms? Sure. Yeah, I can I can talk a bit about that. So, um, obviously, you know, uh, not breaking news. UBS, we have uh, you know a, a high and ultra high net worth clients as our wheelhouse. Um, so, in short, what I'm doing is I'm part of a team that's building a digital bank for those clients. Um, now as the foundational platform, uh, the part that I'm responsible for is really the central nervous system of that digital bank. All of the parts of, uh, you know, uh, of that system talk through the piece that I'm responsible for. Um, you asked about how do you, you know, how do you do that? How do I approach building solutions there uh, at a large organization like this? And interestingly, it's, um, it's the same game when it talk, you know when it comes to actually building uh, good software. At the end of the day, no matter where you are or what the context is, it, it always comes down to building a uh, an appropriately representative model of something in the real world, and um, that's a big part of what it means to to build a foundational platform correctly. It's modeling the domain. Um, you know all of the things that our clients need to do, making sure that uh, that that model is uh, uh, again sufficiently accurate, so uh, so that we're able to just reduce friction in what those clients are trying to do. Mm -hmm. I, I think a big part of what we're solving for today in fintech is what we were doing yesterday and what we're going to want to do tomorrow. It's the the path that we've been on is about reducing friction and um, you know the technology. If you do it right, kind of should seep into the background, right? It's, um, it's about getting out of the way of what they want to do and make sure that we're providing those experiences. Yeah, I mean, that echoes back to the conversation Jamil and I just had. I imagine both of you are building on COBOL, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So sure. can, can you, I mean, because, and, and I mentioned that because banks, the post office, like they all run on this code from the 1970s. And I'm curious, I imagine you're not building on COBOL, yeah. but I imagine it's related, it's there, you deal with it in some cases, I'm sure. Um, can you talk about how those legacy systems, whether they're on COBOL or, or whatever legacy system it is, like how they're holding us back? And, and as you, I'll start with you, dear Orlando, like as you're thinking about building a digital bank, yeah. um, how that underlying infrastructure, like what, what what's really important as you build that? Yeah, that's the, so that's a, a helpful question because it, it's like teeing up a, uh, an opportunity for me to say like, we are not doing that. We are, uh, and it, it's not often that, at a bank, you get the opportunity to 
really look at things greenfield, and um, uh, it, that's what we're doing. You know, we're we're looking at the the question of how do you build uh, you know digital banking solutions in you know the year well, almost 2023, and saying if we were going to do that the way that you know that you would want to do it from scratch, what would that look like? And then let's solve that problem instead of being constrained by you know any uh, sort of limitations of the past. Um, we're famously tight-lipped about you know what we're doing, so it makes it hard to talk about that. But anyone who's interested in solving that kind of problem, please find me and talk to me because we are uh, doing something that you know you don't often get a chance to do in the industry, and it's very exciting. Can you talk more about the interoperability? I know it's one of your favorite words. Maybe you can talk about how the, the, the platform infrastructure leads to that. What you were talking about a second ago, the financial advisor has you know eight or twelve different apps that, that need to talk to each other, need to have a singular view of the customer, and how the the foundational layer um, yeah. is so critical to that. Um, yeah. So the you know you can imagine as you're trying to sort of um, get uh, really complex financial applications that have to cover you know someone of you know, sort of modest means to folks like that you cater to, ultra high <laughs> net worth. Um, you know, the the ways they think about it and, and view and what they need in their money are very, very different. So I would echo what a lot of D said. You have to really map it and you have to really think about it. So, you know, I I used to say I was embarrassed to say, but now I'm kind of proud to say like we hired a few really smart data architects and put them in a room for four months, four months. Four months <laughs> with you know, and you think about that burn, and you're like, you're still in there, right? Oh Jesus! Um, but uh, they um, they came out with an incredibly elegant solution, right? But and, and the reason they were able to do that is they could go pull custody data, they could pull banking data, they could pull client data, they could pull, and they could put it all together, and then say, how does how is it not talking to each other? How is it not working? Where is it broken? Where 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 are the holes? Why can't you mash this together? What are the things that stop it? And so, you know, as a sort of startup in the bank, we have access to just go pull any of that. Like we can go ask anybody and just be like, oh, I want to see your liquidity data. I want to see your whatever. You can just get it all and you get it and you stick them in a room and you now say, okay, if we were to try and build this for scale, like what are all these themes and problems and how do you fix them? So four months later, they came out with like, ta-da, this architecture diagram. And I sat there and I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, it just takes these three things to make this whole thing work. And they're like, yeah, we think so. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So now we're validating all of that and we're really putting it to task and see if this really can happen. But, you know, you can't, you can't sort of, I don't think you have the opportunity, just like Dee said, to do that very often in your life where everyone's like, what do you need? Like, take, take, what, take, call me. What, do, what kind of data do you need? And then you get to shove people in a room and just let them burn cash and then come out with an answer. So, how did you um, set that that data team up for success? Like, what did what what did they go in? I imagine they 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 understood from you the the goals of Pershing X. And yeah, did you, they you, have designs? What what were they? How were they structuring? I, I just time? said if we wanted all this to talk to each other, what would you do? You're smart. And then they were like, well, let me think about it. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> and, and they thought about it. They really thought about it. And they, they really, really thought about it. Um, and, uh, and I think those opportunities, you know, to really sort of take a step back and go, wait, this whole industry has all these things doing all these things, crossing all these wires. 
like, you know, I, I, I describe it a lot like the industry's grown up almost like you imagine like a 50 switchboard, you know, people are connecting shit to shit and like it's starting to like cross over and if you just get a chance to step back and go, if it wasn't a switchboard, how mm-hmm. would this sucker work? Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I think those are, those are fun. That's yeah. fun. I find that fun. Yeah. The, sw- the switchboard in this case is a financial advisor sitting in a swivel chair. Going yeah. Yeah. And, and if you really can, if you get those moments to be able to step back and go, well, if it wasn't, if it wasn't like this, how might it be? Um, and then you can really pull all the use cases and pressure test it. We had a million billion client conversations, you know, if we did it this way, if we did it that way. And, and that's fun. And it was fun for them. So yeah, the singular view of the customer is when I was working most recently at City Ventures, uh, doing work in wealth management. This, this was a constant theme to, to not have the data and not be able to see. And just like, you know, they have this credit card and this this account and this account, and their kids have this and this trust, et cetera. Um, and one of the things that surprised me uh, about working, um, my career was largely working in news and media, and then I, and more recently in, in, in finance and consulting now. And one of the first the things that I experienced really deeply at City was working in a regulated industry for the first time, and seeing how many parts of the bank um, were were set up in a way that kind of make you go big. Um, like the approval process, if it takes 15 approvals to get anything out the door, why would you bother with a small thing? If you're going to go through 15 committees, <laughs> you might as well go in with a big thing because it's still going to be fit, you know. Or, or on the tech side, if there are not frequent deployments, why would you waste, you know, a small thing if you're if you're not going to get a chance to, to iterate on it quickly? And I'm, I'm curious if that rings true, and, and and if so, like how you have dealt with that at, at, at your uh, respective institutions. Maybe you could start, dear Orlando. Yeah. It- Absolutely rings true. It must ring true to anyone who spent time in the bank, I'm sure. Um, we're actually, uh, you know, doing a, a pretty good job of changing that. We're, um, you know, we've undergone a, a shift to agile at the bank, and um, this is actually one of the things that you know my experience in you know other environments is is helpful because I both know what it looks like when you do it correctly, as well as having been in a big bank before, even like pre-Agile, before anyone was saying the word Agile. I also know, uh, you know, what the, the natural state of being is for that organization. And, um, you know, trying to bridge the two is, is important. We, we had, um, you know, a, a rollout a process where, you know, we introduced it to people who have been operating in a different way. And, you know, some of those folks have read the Agile Manifesto and, you know, they're looking at the Agile Manifesto and it's, you know, this short document, comparing it to what they're hearing about how we're going to do Agile. And, um, you know, some of the folks, some like embraced it and then some are, you know, being a little bit um, less constructive by comparing the two and saying, oh, well, like Agile Manifesto is just this one little thing. Why do I need to like have all of these steps and these prescriptions that you're telling me about how we're going to do it. Um, I actually think there's, uh, you know, there's a reason for that as, as you're, you know, trying to make a big organization that hasn't worked in that way, work in that way. There's more to it than just the little agile manifesto. And the uh, example that I gave this person, I tried to coach them afterwards as I said, all right, think of the U.S. and all of the laws that we have. The Constitution is a very short document. You can carry the Constitution in your pocket. You can't do that with any of the legislatures. Like, you know, you go to any given state and it's a very big book, right? So there's the principles and then there's how do we 
establish some sort of processes and, and like culture that lives those, uh, that is still compatible with all the things you have to do in a regulated entity. Um, and then uh, I also try to provide guidance that just as a individual practitioner on the ground, like use, you know, use the fact that you understand the principle and just live that. Like you, you don't have to leave your head at the, at the door. You know, there's a, um, there's a way to, to do both. Ainsley, are there examples of how you've helped push through things or, or, or change processes that were had more of a, you know, 10 years ago or, or, or farther ago you know, mentality to them? Yeah, I mean, I sort of just try and ask myself, is this reasonable or is it stupid, right? And so um, I, I, uh, one of the things we did is move a, a division of the bank into Pershing X to get it seated. It was a data division and it gave us a lot of what we needed to start. And there is a bank requirement that because it was a name division regulated by such and such an entity, we had to have a board. Um, and I was like, cool, we have to have a board. And I'm like, uh, how many people do you have to have on the board? And they go, what do you mean? There's 15 people. And I said, no, like the absolute bare minimum, like the number, is it one? And they're like, no, it actually has to be two. I'm like, cool, two it is. So we took a board from 15 people to two people. It's me and the finance guy. We meet for about 15 minutes. We sign the documents and we're good to go. Like. I'm trying to respect the bank in that there's a regulatory reason why this thing has to have a board. Cool. It doesn't have to be what the bank thinks it is to hit the regulatory requirement. So let's just size everything. And so is it useful or is it stupid? Well, it's useful if, if we didn't have that regulation. If we didn't have that requirement, we didn't have that regulation, then maybe I could get rid of the board. But you know what? We're regulated into. We have the required. We have a regulation. So let's just like live the rule. Mm -hmm. But like let's cheated a little bit. So, you know, and not really a cheat. We're still a board. We might be three people now. Um, but, you know, it's that kind of, yeah. you know, I always tell my team to like, just try and hack it if you can. Like, you know, you don't have to, you, you don't have to be dogmatic. You can sort of find, you can find the hacks. And we've done it in procurement. We've done it in approvals. We do it in all kinds of places. And, you know, it's sort of fun. It sort of brings the team together. People are like, how can we hack? You know, I was talking about, we have to take all this, you know, education, obviously, as a regulated entity. I'm like, do you know there's a test out option? And everyone was like, yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm testing out of all these things if I can. And we do. We have a contest now on who can test out the fastest. So, like, you still have to know the content. you got to get the 80%, but you don't have to sit through the whole training. So I think it kind of brings us together as a little bit of like hack the bank a little bit. Mm -hmm. and, it, but, and, and it's still a very respectful way. Like, uh, you know, we do respect, listen, we've seen the downside of things not being regulated. Mm, Hello. Sure. Mm, yeah. um, and, uh, and we've seen it not just in crypto, but in real world too. Like, I, you know, I, I look at the fines Robin has paid for sort of, you know, acting a little um, sort of to the side of the regulatory environment. I mean, they're there for a reason. People do shit. Oh, yeah. And so I kind of like having the safety of it wrapped around what we're doing. And I like smart people saying, you know what? Like, when you hit scale, this is going to fall over. And I like having that expertise. So anyways, long story. But I, I love how you use sort of the... the door-in-the-face technique or the anchoring bias of like, if you say a number, people anchor on the number, even if the number means nothing. Like if I say 75 million and then I ask you how much is your house worth, they'll give me a higher number than, yeah, you all know That's like the board bias. of one. Yeah, is so you one said okay? one and they said, okay, how about two? And you said, cool, <laughs> right on. Um, 
You mentioned Robinhood just now, so I'll, I'll go to this question. Uh, democratizing finance or, or giving people, giving regular people the tools that the wealthy have long enjoyed is, is a very common mission among consumer fintechs. I literally met someone today when I was working here at Rise who was working in, in that vein. It's similar to what LearnVest was doing. Um, these startups are often not profitable. Uh, and one reason is that delivering sophisticated financial advice is just, just kind of expensive, um, and especially when it involves humans. Uh, and so I'm curious if you could just give advice, we're here at a, at, a, at a fintech incubator, if you could give advice to builders in the space on where you do see opportunities to democratize finance or bring the tools of the ultra-wealthy you know, down to the, the rest of us, um, and, 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 but also do so in a way that creates a sustainable business model. Um, that's a big question. Whichever one of you wants to take it first, go for it. I'm definitely leaving that one to answer. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, thanks, man. Um, well, there's, uh, there's two ways to make money um, at the core. You can save it uh, or you can earn money on your money. And so, um, or I guess you could start a startup and mm. have a really lovely exit. But for most people, there's two ways to make money. You, you save it or you start making money on your money. And, um, and uh, what I would say is, the financial services industry, the, the, the profit, the real money, is in making money on your money. Um, it's investing. That's where the money is. The problem is when you don't have enough money to invest, uh, you got to learn how to save. And that's really hard. Consumers don't like to save. We're not really good at it. Nationally, our savings rate is terrible. Um, we, we are essentially negative savings. The pandemic actually made us savers. You know, we were a 6% saving nation at that time, but not anymore. Um, and so if you're a fintech trying to get people to save more, know that it's really hard and there's not a lot of money. So what I would say is if you can create a balanced product where you are probably losing money teaching people how to save, but you can get people to save enough that you can start making money and helping them make money on their money, you have a nice balanced product. What I see is people either end up in one or the other. They either end up in a saving app. I know, let's make a budgeting app. Okay, cool. Um, good luck with that. Uh, the budgeting world is really, really tough. It's not fun to save money. It's really freaking hard. And that's where I think Robin had actually had an insight, you know, trying to keep, you know, and Acorns has an insight, mm -hmm. you know, they, they're trying to sort of, you know, microtransact you into saving. And, and there's other ideas there too. I'm not trying to poo-poo all of savings, but savings on its own is a very, very hard business to build. But if you can get people to save in their retirement uh, first and then outside of their retirement second, um, you can actually build a really nice balanced business that can grow really, really well. So that's what I, that, that's after 20 years of watching this whole industry, um, you know, you need a couple hundred thousand dollars uh, to make money in wealth as a wealth provider. And it takes a lot of work to get your first couple hundred thousand dollars saved. So it's that balance that's really, really hard. And anyone who can crack that nut, I'd invest. Do you want to take this question or you want to? No notes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. I think making college less expensive might be one major way to help people save, but that's oh, a whole yeah, separate I said issue. what people can do. Yeah. I, I mean, um, I'm Canadian, so like uh, there's a few things um, that I would potentially uh, sort of 
suggest that we would change um, at the, <laughs> politely at, you know, politely suggest <laughs> with an A attached that we would change. Um, you know, it is a very different life for people that spend $10,000 to send their kids to college than $300,000. And um, that's why the Swedens, the Canadas, you know, the, the, I'm not going to even touch healthcare because I know lots of people have lots of things to say about that, but um, sort of sponsored education is a big freaking deal and it, it, it changes a lot of lives. It makes the nation smarter and people able to get there faster. But I'm not here to talk politics in the U.S. <laughs> I just became a U.S. citizen, so. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. <laughs> um, I'm curious where you see, you've, you've, you spoke a little bit about, you mentioned acorns. Um, they did really smart things around automation, right? They round up. You spend, you know, sixty-two cents, and they put thirty-eight in your in your savings account, or you spend three sixty-two, and they round it up to the nearest dollar. Um, and I think there's a lot of you know interesting things happening in automation. I, you know, a very famous study is getting people to when you start a new job, your four hundred one k is automatically opted in. You have to opt out, and that's had a massive. That is impact. magic. That is magic. Um, Amen to that. So I'm curious where. You see more opportunity for automation, and then, and you serve financial. You both work with companies that are really serving financial advisors. Where you see the the automation will never replace, um, you know, what 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 the human financial advisor can do. Hmm. Well, I'll just, I guess, my two reactions to that is on on the one hand, I I think you're right to highlight just the the power of the automation. It's not even just the automation, it's the making me not have to think about it. Like, that's the part. Um, you know, how many people, you know, think that what they make is what they're actually taking home in their paycheck, as opposed to actually looking at the, the gross and then looking at all of the, you know, deductions and then doing calculations and decisions based mm -hmm. on that. You just kind of say, all right, that's already gone. I'm, I forgot about it and now I just start from here. So if you can do that to your entire sort of, economic strategy for bettering, you know, your financial security, then that's huge. I think um, in my personal experience, the, the challenge when you start talking about like financial advisors and, and uh, trying to apply it to that domain is that's a different business. Like they, they actually are each bringing their own, um, you know, expertise and, and ideas and, um, and even you know specific things about the relationship between that specific advisor and that client, um, and it's very meaningful. So um, I don't know how to intersect those, and um, you know there may be a way, but it's it seems to me a, a almost orthogonal in, in a way. Well, I, that's where I might disagree with you because I feel like I've seen a little bit of the future in. Um we just did a strategic partnership into an equity stake in a new financial planning company that hasn't been in the U.S. before called Conquest Financial Planning. And this isn't a commercial for them. But um, the reason I partnered with this one uh, is because it's the first financial planning application that I've ever seen that did that. Hmm. And what they do is they sort of take all of the possible things you could do with your money and they use AI to serve them up to the advisor. It's like, if you want to, you know, whatever your retirement goal is, the probability of you getting there would go up if you did these 20 things, right? And the AI just serves them up. Right down the list. And then what the advisor does is sit there with the client and go, would you do that one? Are you willing to do that one? What about that one? And if the one, if the answer is yes, it goes on the right side. And then that now becomes the plan. So what they what what like 
things like that, which, you know, the, the financial advisor could probably name 12 of those off mm. the top of their head, but they probably can't name all 25. They don't know like every single possible strategy that you could possibly pull off to like do this thing, but the computer does and it just goes, here they are. And then the advisor sort of does that magic thing that is human that says, would you be willing to reinvest your tax return check or are you mm. buying some? And you're like, I could do that. I'd reinvest my tax return check. Cool, cool. That goes on the right side. And I actually think that is where the future is. This sort of, the computer sort of serves it up and the advisor hits the ball with the client mm. and you get that agreement, you get that buy-in. And that's always been, I think, what advisors have always wanted to do. But the financial world has gotten so complex. How can you know those like 26 things? Like, good God, like you can't keep them all in your head. And especially for every different client type, you're different, you're different, you're different. But you know, surprisingly, your demographics do describe a lot of your life. Sorry. And mm. so the computer just serves them up. And I think, it, I think it's possible. I think we're getting there. I think AI is helping us get there. That actually leads right to my last question, which is, what do you think, um, if you look at wealth and banking, you know, 10, 20 years in the future, what, what do you think is largely the same, similar to today, and, and what is going to be radically different? I'll go first. Um, I think what's going to be the same is it's a human business. Um, I think what is going to be more different is the computer will help more. I think we're just early days at what uh, tech can do to make financial decisions easier. You talked about less friction. Mm -hmm. um, I just think there's there's so much more to do. I think I think I think the industry is really messy right now. Like you know, we're talking about eight apps to solve a problem. I'm like that's crazy pants. So I think you know it's going to move and it's going to move fast. Um, but humans are going to be there. I've believed it my whole career. Everyone asks me, "Is a robot going to take over?" No, not a chance. Money is so human. Try and have a conversation with your spouse about money. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's human. <laughs> Dear Elena, how um, how are you? I know you can't talk a, a too much detail about it, but how are you building the platform that you're building to be future proof so that it, it's, it's ready for all the things that, that D. Ainsley is, that, that, excuse uh -huh. me, that Ainsley's talking about? Yeah, yeah. You great. just did a mashup as I, of us. Like it? <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like a Benifer. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. Great question. Um, so I, I, I guess a couple things come to mind. The first is by um, just, you know, letting ourselves be untethered to, um, you know, a, a solution that's dated and saying, all right, how do you solve this problem that we're trying to solve? How do you solve that today? Um, it, it means making very fundamentally different decisions at the core, like at the foundation of the thing that we're building, and which is why I'm, I'm glad to be at the part that, uh, that I'm responsible for. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I think I actually agree with a lot of, of what Ainsley said. Wait, the, why first time ever? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. No, I, I think um, there there is a lot of opportunity to build technology that makes the thing that you were trying to do easier, um, and that reduces the time it takes to do that thing. Um, I think a big part of what we're doing when we're trying to build software solutions at you know the bank, even even in previous organizations, my my previous fintechs, it was literally the same game. We were. Um, Making this thing that maybe took you a week make it, you know, take a day. Right. So that's a big part of it. Awesome. Thank you so much for, you for joining us. Mm -hmm.
That was Ainsley Simmons, president of Pershing X at Bank of New York Mellon and D. Orlando Keys, head of banking foundational platform at UBS. Coming soon, we'll bring you another great conversation from our live event at Rise, created by Barclays. We had a fascinating conversation with Jamil Sheikh, who has founded three crypto companies, including Instamint, which he says will do for crypto tokens what Stripe has done for payments, that is, make it incredibly easy. Doing tokens is complex. It's complex work. It's expensive. We just are focused on making it super easy. We'll have more from Jamil soon here on Crafted, a show about great products and the people who make them from Artium. At Artium, we build incredible products, recruit high-performing teams, and help you achieve the culture of craft you need to build great software long after we're gone. We artisans love partnering with creative people to build their visions of the future. If you've got an opportunity you'd like to discuss or just want to learn more about us, check us out at thisisartium.com or drop us a line at hello at thisisartium.com. This podcast is new and we'd love your support. If you like today's episode and hey, you've made it this far, maybe text a few craft-minded friends a link to the show. And please subscribe and join us as we highlight more great products and the people who make them. I'm Dan Blumberg. This is Crafted. See you next time. <laughs>